Blog Talk Radio. you're joining us again today. Today we are going to be continuing with uh, our theme of looking at the environment from a cinematic point of view and uh, also to bring in uh, the richness of uh, part of the world that few people, especially in the West, know much about, and that's Papua New Guinea. We have with us today uh, two filmmakers from the Czech Republic who have just arrived in New York, and we're very pleased to have them in the studio today, to talk about a film they made called Escape to Nature. And I met them through Christopher Gervais, who has been a guest on A Better World on Progressive Film Hour several times because he is the founder and CEO of the Wildlife Conservation Film Festival, and uh, he is a magnet for some of the finest films about wildlife conservation really in the world, and uh, we've just enjoyed having him as a guest over and over again because he brings us such great films, and he's such a fine spokesperson about the work that's being done to conserve wildlife around the world and the use of media, especially film, to help to do that and to support that goal and that effort. So a little bit first about our filmmakers here. Uh, Libor Spacek is a documentary film director, cinematographer, photographer, scuba diver, and instructor who's also been a sea captain and interested in underwater photography for many, many years. Uh, he studied in New York City in the late 1990s and uh, where he really started to establish himself in his work that he's currently doing. His partner, Petra Dolezova, has studied economics in the Czech Republic and media relations in California. She has combined her interests as a photographer and a traveler with her profession as a publicist. She's dedicated her uh, life to production um, of in prestigious, prestigious I'm sorry, magazines for 11 years and public relations. She's joined Libor in this uh, fascinating work that took place in the uh, beautiful island of Papua New Guinea, which we'll be digging into in some depth. Now, I've, uh, of course, told you a bit about Christopher Gervais, who is such an interesting man. Not only is he now, um, over the past number of years, the 
CEO and founder of the Wildlife Conservation Film Festival, but he also has a uh, significant background as a scientist, environmental scientist, graduate studies in marine biology, vertebrate paleontology. He's worked as a field researcher, laboratory scientist, and teacher at multiple natural history museums um, around the United States. He was also one of the first scientists to conduct underwater vertebrate paleontology research. He's a professional advanced scuba diver with over 2,500 logged-in dives. So it's really a pleasure to have each of you on the show today uh, to talk about this film, Escape to Nature. If I told everybody about all of your rich backgrounds, it would take up half the show. So I'd rather people have an experience of your uh, creativity and thought and caring about the subject of our environment as we go through. So, Petra, I'd like to start with you. Uh, thanks so much for coming on to the show today. Thank you for inviting us. It's really a pleasure. Uh, very good, very good. Uh, so what is it that first initially inspired you to uh, go, of all places, to Papua New Guinea and do diving off the coast? Actually, uh, our, the name of our production, Escape to Nature, says all. So we are attracted to the places where you can still see and uh, live in a, uh, the, the richness of the nation and see the beauty of the nature. The richness of nature? Yeah, richness of the nature and also of the customs of local people. And we like to experience the things uh, which were actually seen of, uh, by travelers from past years. So we can still see it, and I think it's a miracle to go to these uh, places. And we like to discover the beauty both underwater and on the island. Yes, exactly. Well, the film is an interesting mix of underwater and on land. I enjoyed going between the two from the richness of the sea life and uh, fish that I have never seen before to actually human beings that I've never seen before either. So it was uh, an interesting uh, point-counterpoint, if you will, in that regard. Libor, um, what, I'm just curious, uh, the sea life was so rich and diverse, and I know you developed a certain affection for a sea turtle in that film. Could you talk a little bit? I know I know it's a little difficult because we're doing this in English instead of in Czech. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I try, I try to so no tell something we'll about, about it. Uh, uh, our documentary, Escape to Papua New Guinea, our fifth uh, episode of our documentary series. And uh, we put some footage and some stories about the turtle to each documentaries because uh, uh, as a diver and uh, experimental traveler uh, around the world, I very often uh, surprised if I meet underwater turtles. Turtles is very, very uh, rare, rare, rare uh, animals because I... I admire their abilities underwater. They know where they are. They every time 
uh, come back to the same place where they uh, born uh, and uh, it's uh, if you if you spend with this animal underwater time it's uh, it's like meditation for me because mm. if you uh, you are swim uh, with these uh, animals and uh, they see you face to face it's beautiful i i didn't see another best uh, uh, view to my eyes and uh, i feeling with them uh, everything what what can what i can do it you you feel a harmony and a resonance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more than with human beings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Believe me. I hope not more than your lovely wife. <laughs> but it's, but it's it's it's, 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 it's special. I don't know why, but it's a special feeling for me. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, as you were speaking, Libor, I was thinking about the way you were saying sea turtles go back to the same place, I was thinking they might be the elephant underwater, <laughs> you know, that maybe there's some kind of natural cosmological parallel <laughs> that God had in mind. I don't know, but it's certainly interesting. How old was that turtle in the film? Would you have any idea how to approximate the age uh, it's uh, it depends. Uh, it's uh, many kinds of the turtles uh, which we meet under which we which we met underwater, but uh, I think that uh, youngest of this film was about one and a half two years, and oldest could be have about uh, I don't know fifty sixty years old. Mm, very interesting. I want to just set a context for the audience so you understand because. We're not going to be showing you clips. After all, it is radio. But uh, the film Escape to Nature is something, if you get our newsletter, we have its trailer on the newsletter, and we actually also have it on our website, abetterworld.tv. If you just spend even those three or four minutes of the trailer uh, absorbing the beauty, you will understand uh, this interview back uh, even deeper, and I would recommend coming back to it after you see the trailer, because you'll get a real footing in the um, the magnificence of the film. It's rare to have that kind of footage from such an exotic place available on film. So I just thank you, Cinque. <laughs> Sorry, that sounds more Polish. My Dziękuję. <laughs> the subtleties are lost on me, but I'm gathering them slowly. So thank you. Thank you for this. Christopher Gervais, thanks so much for bringing these great filmmakers to our studio today and uh, for the work that you continue to do with the Wildlife Conservation Film Festival. I, I think very highly of it. Uh, what is it that touched you about this particular film, having seen literally hundreds of them by now? Yeah, I mean, every film is unique, and uh, it's, uh, you know, this film caught my interest because of the, the sharp clarity of the cinematography, the subject matter, of course. Uh, a lot of the films that I have seen about Papua New Guinea are the wildlife above the surface, whereas uh, this particular film, the... Um, it focused a lot on the underwater uh, natural history, so to speak, uh, the marine life, 
of Papua New Guinea, and that's something that, uh, for whatever reason, other films hadn't touched as much that this particular film did. And as Petra and Libor said, this is you know this is a, a series. Uh, Escape to Nature is a series, and uh, Escape to Papua New Guinea is is one of the six films in the entire series. So. Uh, the film is extraordinary. Uh, it's outstanding cinematography. It's it's very well done, as as the entire series is so far, and uh, it caught my attention quickly. Yes, I understand. You know, uh, on this show we look at beauty, of course, because beauty is one of the great gifts that we have to enjoy on this beautiful planet, and it has a contemplative or meditative effect on our consciousness. It shifts us from the ordinary into the awesome, right? The humbled. We experience a different level of ourselves through beholding of beauty. And I think one of the uh, points that a film like this accomplishes by implication is what we're doing globally, to our environment, to degrade its beauty, to degrade the natural habitat, wildlife habitat, and it's everywhere. There isn't one country that is free from contamination, pollution, one form or another of exploitation. So from that point of view, I would love to hear, uh, Petra, if you would like to pick up on that first, uh, to describe what you know. For instance, in the film, you show a little footage of planes that were down during World War II, which at this point, while that may have been a very safe haven for a period of time, a critical period of time, now it's wreckage. It's a mess that is polluting the landscape. Are you with me? Yeah, I'm with you uh, totally. Underwater, uh, it actually this prime became uh, the new home for the uh, for the underwater creatures, for the fish and for the corals. But while above the water, it takes years, um, hundreds of years, when it disappears before it disappears, and uh, there is always track of civilization mistakes in all of those islands we are visiting. Yes, exactly, exactly. Libor, you have done diving lots of places across the world, correct? Yeah, yes. We, what, we, how, how pristine, do you know that word, how um, original, precious, Christopher, help me, <laughs> pristine is, uh, okay, free, free from... Uh, pollution, yeah. Is this in comparison to other locations? Uh, because uh, we have experience uh, to dive in uh, uh, different locations around the world. I can tell that uh, Pacific, especially South Pacific, uh, looks still very... Uh, very good for with compare and another locations, but uh, uh, you know, if you if you are closer to the shore, the the, the, the uh, corals 
are more uh, polluted or yeah, damaged. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not only by uh, local people, but uh, I'm sorry after many visit, uh, visits by divers too, because many divers uh, don't uh, keep uh, and respect underwater system, underwater world, and they touch to every coral and something like uh, something, uh, some animals like this. And uh, special beginners, uh, which uh, uh, who uh, doesn't have a comfortable underwater, underwater uh, kick some corals and uh, damage them. And damage them. But uh, of course, uh, because I dive and travel around the world more than 15 years, and visit many times uh, the same location after five years, seven years, I many times found the same place. Which uh, without the corals, without the animals, and uh, some corals uh, start to be white, more are more whitening. It means they died, and the same coral which I took picture several years ago, the the same corals are died. I did. It's it's not good for 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 me for uh, specialist uh, of the photography because. I very remember, uh, very good remember every place which I visit. Yes, yes, of course. Wow, well, it's good to know. And coral, of course, is uh, sort of, in many ways, the beginning of our food chain. You know, when you deal with a coral, which is the home, is it not, to the plankton, and the plankton's the beginning of what becomes more complex life forms that becomes our food. So if you mess with the coral, you're messing with the entire world food chain. Christopher, you want to comment on that? Yeah, I mean, because you're a diver as well. Sure. You've been everywhere. I mean, what I what I have seen over the years as far as the damage to the ocean, the health of the oceans, if that's if that's what you, how you want me to answer the question. Yes, I mean, I've seen divers that can't control their buoyancy. They they're kicking pieces of coral, the coral breaks off, they don't realize that the coral may take hundreds or thousands of years to grow back to that particular piece. Uh, you know, coral is a living organism, it's not a plant, it's actually an animal. Uh, in is addition, that so? yes, yes, it's, uh, oh, it's actually, it's actually an animal. Uh, now, certain things that you see underwater, like a sponge or, or other things, they are, uh, yeah, there are underwater uh, plants, so to speak, but Corals themselves are, in fact, animals. But in addition to divers causing damage on coral reefs, we see plastic, we see fishing line, we see, uh, you know, still, there's still oil coming out uh, in the Gulf of Mexico from the horizon spill. There's still oil up in Alaska from Valdez. Uh, you only have to put your fingers so many inches into the sand and you'll still touch oil. Uh, there are several places now, not just in the Pacific, but in multiple oceans, where it's designated the plastic sea because of so much plastic, um, and it is floating. And of course, sea turtles, for example, eat that. Um, but the pl what is considered plastic? What area? Well, uh, there's, there's a, a portion in the South Pacific that no. is the size of Texas that is called the plastic sea, and the ocean currents are, are bringing together... Uh, plastic from all around the world, and you have an, a an area now that is designated the Plastic Sea, which is about the size of Texas. So, you know, imagine an area uh, of ocean that is just littered with plastic debris that is coming from everywhere. 
plastic bottles, plastic bags, I mean anything, plastic syringes, things that float. And of course, sea turtles, um, cetaceans, whether it's whales, dolphins, porpoise, seabirds, they tuna. cannot, tuna, the fish, they cannot distinguish between, a, say, a jellyfish or a plastic bag. They'll eat the bag, uh, swallow it, and in many cases, in almost all cases, die. Uh, just a few weeks ago, I saw... I saw their intestines a, get strangulated. Their intestines get blocked, uh, cannot digest and process food, and if they don't choke uh, mm -hmm. on, the, on the plastic, then they'll eventually they'll die of blockage. I've also seen animals such as sea turtles or even sea lions, uh, which is a pinniped, uh, have uh, a six-pack wrapper around their neck, uh, and, you know, again, there are things that people can do to help prevent this. Anytime you use plastic, put it in a recyclable bin. If you happen to use uh, cans or bottles that are half the, the plastic six-pack wrappers, it's called, cut each of uh, the holes. So if, for some reason, an animal does get a hold of it, they're not entangled in it. Because yeah. I have seen that far too many times. Really and good idea. I've either seen it in person or I've seen photographs of it where you'll see an animal, whether it's a sea turtle or a sea lion, that somehow got their head through the little hole and eventually just chokes and suffocates. Or in some cases, as the animal grows, the plastic actually is embedded uh, in their skin and into their tissue. And in fact, I saw recently a, um, a turtle, not a sea turtle, but a snapping turtle that got caught in a plastic wrapper. And as it grew over the years, its shell became deformed. Uh, and it was thin in the center, but somehow the animal lived. And uh, you actually probably can Google this off the Internet, but it's really an extraordinary photograph how this animal was able to manage to survive with this disability. Uh, but... You know, clearly, the oceans are experiencing a lot of trouble between overfishing, between pollution, between ocean acidification, global cha uh, climate change, whether you want to call it global warming or just climate change. There are uh, a number of issues that are affecting the oceans. And this, of course, affects us as human beings because too much of our food supply comes from the ocean. And you have some countries, say, uh, like island nations such as Japan, where they don't have a big agricultural industry, they don't have big farming, they don't have a big beef industry, they rely on much of their substance from the sea. Uh, as fish populations continue to dwindle, countries like those island nations are going to have a very difficult time feeding their people. Fish and seaweed, both. Yeah. They do. They live uh, I mean, if you look at the entire development and evolution of civilization... It all happened by waterways, Absolutely. be it ocean or river. That's where cities develop. And, you know, this is just kind of standard fare, no pun intended. But you're highlighting one of the great menaces to uh, sea life, which has been keeping human beings alive in the places we're speaking about and elsewhere for so long, being jeopardized by something as simple to avoid which is plastics in the ocean, plastics in the water. And it's just pure human recklessness and carelessness that allows this kind of thing to happen. Now, you're probably familiar with the film Bagot, which we had the uh, filmmaker on and a couple of the uh, uh, scientists on to discuss the role, and this is what the film is about, plastics in our oceans. 
and the way it strangulates fish, dolphins, as you were saying, Christopher, all sea life is damaged as a result. Life on Earth began in the ocean, and whether whether or not life on Earth will continue will depend on the health of our oceans. And what we do in the next few years, in the coming decades, as far as fish populations crashing, plankton, ocean acidification, and you know, a great person to, to have on at some point is Dr. Sylvia Earle, her deepness, who is just certainly the world's expert when it comes to the health of the world's oceans. But we're at a precipice right now. Uh, we're not at the point of no return, but we're very close to it. And, you know, as you have had me on before, I'm not one to preach doom and gloom. There there are signs of hope. There are signs that people and governments can change. But again, uh, life on Earth, the balance depends on how we treat our oceans and the health of our oceans. Truly, truly well put. Over the next 25 years, it's utterly, completely critical. And there's a sign, there are signs of hope. But uh, there's also the science of hope, <laughs> interestingly. So uh, when people act together in concert, uh, they can really make things happen. And certainly uh, this show, A Better World, and uh, what you are doing as filmmakers in bringing greater awareness to the life of the oceans and, and actually documenting how they have changed over time while engaging us, you could say, seducing us into the beauty of the oceans with, I have to say, I saw colors that I had never seen before in life forms in watching your film. It was, it was actually in some moments, some of the fish were comical, like that one, I don't know the name, that would camouflage itself and change Depending on where its environment, it would change. I actually understand. No, it was a form of squid. Yes, yes. You have to speak that right. That's right. And uh, it was funny. I it was my first time of fully understand, better understanding the role of fashion in human civilization. <laughs> I got to see that there's a real biological antecedent to our preoccupation as a culture with fashion. <laughs> it comes from the squid. <laughs> I don't know if uh, you know the great um, fashion designers would appreciate that comment, but I think it's true. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us. We are on today speaking about a particular... A film, well, actually an episode of a film of a series called Escape to Nature. We're here with the with the filmmakers discussing it. They uh, spent some months in Papua New Guinea, both on the land and in the sea, shooting some utterly, completely exquisite footage. And if you go to our website, betterworld.tv, <clears throat> or if you don't yet get our newsletter, make sure to go there. It's a free newsletter. You can see the shows that we air every week on A Better World, on Progressive Film Hour, and A Better World TV here in New York City, which you can still see online from anywhere because that's what technology has afforded us these days. So uh, do make sure to uh, sign up for that newsletter and share this show with your friends and colleagues. We're always speaking about the environment. We're always speaking about health, public health, personal health, 
and how to create a better world through community building and uh, living a healthy, sustainable kind of life. So on that note, I would like to uh, come back to you all and talk about a little bit what happened on the land. And that was, of course, some of the tribes that you spent time with, who I noted, you note in the film, very powerfully uh, worship the alligator. And there's an entire, can you speak about that? These were the native people of of uh, Papua New Guinea that have an entire lifestyle and uh, worship of the alligator. Uh, oh, crocodile. Excuse me. Thanks, Christopher. A <laughs> crocodile. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this was actually in the region uh, called Sepik. Sepik is the biggest river in uh, Papua New Guinea and uh, the third biggest and important river in the world. And uh, there are the nations which are related to uh, the admiration or, or who admire crocodiles because they believe that their predecessors actually came out from the river as a crocodile. Uh, then... Uh, there are what you can see there. There are, uh, of course, some art which is uh, beautiful uh, statues which look like crocodiles, and some other art which you can see in different galleries all around the world. But they have also very painful and interesting ritual. It's called crocodile initiation, and it's a process when young boys are coming through the painful ritual before they become adult men, and and they are then allowed to enter the secret houses. They call them like spirit houses, and they believe that in those houses uh, the souls of predecessors are staying. If you look at it as a foreigner, you might think this is a good pub for the men in those villages because they don't drink. They just uh, chew a betel nut. And it's actually the place where they do mostly, you know, those those men talks. <laughs> and what, what, we, what are they chewing? Betelnut. It's betelnut. It's a. It's a, actually the drug. It's a nut. Oh, okay. You can see and them doing this ritual. Does it induce in for, uh, euphoria? Yeah. It makes them yeah. high. They, it makes them high actually since the morning till the night. So it's a, one of the nations who is doing it on daily basis. Uh, it didn't make their teeth look very good. It made them very bad, yeah. Ooh. And you can see uh, the red marks everywhere on the floor because they spill uh, the Oh, the, the juice. Yeah. They, they exactly. spit it out. They spit it out. They don't have a TV. They don't have another uh, things to do, so they chew the betel They dance and talk, and this is their uh, culture in the evening. What happened uh, when we stayed there, we were actually... They dance uh, a lot. Music yeah. and dance were obviously very important to them. It's a it's a way they express the emotions, culture, the stories from past. This is the way they transmit the stories to the new yeah. uh, generations. Generation. And what is very interesting, that you don't find uh, the same dance uh, in many villages because there's always a, a different culture. They were developing individually. Some time ago, they even didn't know they have neighbors. And uh, who are they neighbors? Because very often when they cross the border, they were killed because 
those people didn't live in a peace. They believed that there is always enemy behind the oh. behind the hell. So it doesn't actually. It's not related to those days. But still, if you go there, you have to have a good guide who is accepted by the others. And if you go to the unknown village, you they have to hire another guy who is accepted there. So it was also our case. So we had few guys, guides on the way. We traveled in a canoe. That's a traditional way how to move there. So we stayed on a canoe and visited those villages. And there we were very lucky because we came into one of the villages where they were actually practicing this ritual after five years. They had to wait five years before they had enough number of those guys who would go through the ritual. And we, there was a long negotiation before we were actually, uh, uh, they agreed, the, the chef of the village agreed to let us go in and film it. And uh, this village was called Marap, and we were the first crew, uh, crew with TV who could come and actually film it. Until the last moment, I didn't know if I will be also able to come in because this is very... You know, for men, because they are naked through yeah. this procedure. It's a very intimate, intimate uh, moment for them. So after after that, finally they let me go in, and I try to behave as <laughs> invisible as possible. <laughs> Not female. Not female, yeah. And uh-huh. it was, uh, for me, this was the most strongest moment during our filming, yeah, yeah. Because you you have a respect towards their nature, towards their culture. You feel like uh, painful it is. If I describe it's two hours of cutting the, the skin, which after a few weeks will look like a crocodile skin. So it's a very painful proce- proce- uh, process, and it's very dangerous because the infection is just, you know, on a hand. Yeah, there are no hospitals. If you want to go to hospitals, it takes few hours of traveling, and those people are so poor, so they cannot uh, actually uh, afford it. And it's only a few hours to get to the certain point, and then another day to get to the hospital. So they only rely on their own medicine, trees, oil, and beliefs. So it was very, uh, it was a very interesting to, to be uh, part of it to see the ceremony, which was combined by the singing, dancing. Actually, the dancing lasted the whole night. And uh, we could hear the rhythm of the drums the whole night uh, over there. And we uh, end up in the village in the middle of uh, the bush, uh, surrounded only by the local people, uh, sleeping with them in their own houses without access to water, fresh water. We couldn't, there was no toilet, no shower, nothing, and we only trusted to our guide that we survive and that uh, we won't lose any of our equipment, which is necessary. So we had to carry on everything, recharge for the battery, uh, generator, and everything with us. But in their community, was there? A, I didn't see any sign of electricity anyway. No, there is no. So everything, all the equipment you brought, you would have your own generator for? Yeah, for the whole time of being on a Sipic region, uh, on a Sipic river, and in some old places, we had really to go. Yeah. It was a direct 
Standard. Eight, ten days yeah. uh, above the trip by on the river, through the river. Mm. And we visit, uh, if we will go by the river, we stop uh, on some village, and uh, people from this village help us and uh, guide us with our accessories and equipment to another village uh, more uh, in the jungle, than jungle. And of course, we need uh, everything: cameras, uh, lenses, uh, uh, generator, uh, all the equipment. All equipment. Yeah. It many, many. I, I think that about ten, twelve people help us uh, to bring everything and drop to the another village. That's right. It's interesting to step back to see where what we're accustomed to in our. Western civilization in the United States and Europe and how accustomed we are to having access to electricity and then we spend a couple of weeks, for instance, you two, there and you have to re, um, kind of recreate an entire way of functioning because you don't have the need of electricity and what you do as filmmakers is so technology intensive. And don't forget uh, mosquitoes, wet season or in the jungle is still wet. It means you have only one wear and in, impossible to change it something. Well, because one, if you change it, yeah, because if you change it, everything during five minutes, everything is again wet. And you need to stay with with uh, this uh, dress with your same right, the same uh, long time, the same yeah. clothes. In other words, <laughs> right. and you go to sleep with the same like you walking per day, it's, right? You know, exactly. exactly. Christopher, yeah. have you, oh, uh, basically, I uh, just like to add that it's a uh, it's a uh, the need that you enjoy to be uncomfortable. Oh, I see. Right. It's just uh, right. It's just part of the journey, right? I've got to say, in watching that ritual, it was very difficult uh, to watch the cutting that took place. And their increase in technology was to go from bamboo to razor. And, oh my God! I mean, I I found that difficult to watch. Quite honestly, all I can say is. I'm glad I'm Jewish, and the move from boyhood to manhood is a bar mitzvah. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Let me be fully honest. There is something called the circumcision that begins it, right, Christopher? So <laughs> that began our journey, and I'm actually not in favor of that. That's another show. But have you ever been to that part of the world? I have not. I, I have not had the pleasure of going to uh, Papua New Guinea, but... Uh... You know, there's hopefully uh, an opportunity down the road. In fact, Petra, Libor, and I were discussing that today about what is in the future, about uh, other films that they would like to make there. And uh, one of the one of the plans is to uh, just get a catamaran and just get uh, their own boat, so which will be named Escape to Nature. And uh, by having that by having that vessel and, and creating a foundation, they'll be able to to go back uh, there and other uh, pl locations in the South Pacific and film both above and below and uh, and take people with them, uh, whether it be a wildlife photography or a filmmaking workshop. Uh, it's something that, uh, yeah, Jacques Cousteau had a very uh, 
memorizing saying, people protect what they love. And in order to protect what you love, you have to see it. And if you don't see it firsthand, then you have to see it by film or photography, which gets you hooked. Then when you see it in person, you love it even more, and then you want to protect that. So uh, by by helping Petra and Libor get back to these locations and creating more films for the world to enjoy, then that will certainly help uh, protection. And, and that's something that I hope to help them with uh, in the future. Beautiful. I'm really glad to hear that. It's uh, part of the world that I think culturally and environmentally needs to be uh, further preserved because of the careless wreckage that we were speaking about before. It's it's so sad, but you have created a document that has real value, long-lasting value, <clears throat> because we see what it's like even though there has been some degradation that you've noticed over time, uh, it remains still rather pristine. And um, God willing, we'll be able to uh, help to preserve that. One of the uh, interesting things that I've noticed as I've been doing more and more shows, uh, very much thanks to you, Christopher, on wildlife conservation, which has always been something of great interest to me. It's part of my larger environmental uh, interest and goal to educate people about. <clears throat> I've looked more at causes of things like climate change and dealing with water pollution and things of this sort. But looking at specific species and animals is just another way. It's another point of focus to view. It's like another... Uh, lens through which to look at what's going on on the planet. And uh, from that point of view, I've learned something really interesting, which is that individuals, individual humans, as well as individual groups, are helping to keep specific species alive. When people say, what can I do? I'm just one person. That's right. You're one person. Use your personhood. Be a human fully. And uh, I did a film not long ago called Field Biology. with some young kid in New Jersey who wasn't sure what he wanted to do with his life. And he was doing some rock climbing and doing... Do you know the film? I do not, but I, 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 I know what you're talking about because we have a number of films... That that exemplifies that it's one person idea. that started an idea. And, and this particular young man fell in love with birds and then birding. So he would go out into the forests of New Jersey and identify the birds and tag them and started doing basic benevolent scientific research on these birds. It got to such a point that he then went to Costa Rica, one of the great biodiverse regions of the planet and started doing the same thing and provided the government with research data about their bird habitat they never had before, even after all of these generations. And he brought a group of friends. And they are impacting the uh, conservation of bird life in Costa Rica and New Jersey like no one else before them has done. So 
Petra, you wanted to share something. No, I just wanted to point out that what we are on our on our journey is what we're doing. We are trying to monitor those activities of those individuals. And it's sometimes it's amazing how how big uh, actually the, their little dreams can 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 grow, and what they can do. And Asliber, and you said that uh, he is very uh, his favorite uh, creature uh, is uh, is uh, the turtle. So very often those places are or yeah. those people are related to the turtle protection. And what we have seen, for example, when we traveled in Tahiti. It was in uh, Bora Bora where we met a very interesting young man from uh, France, and he find out that if uh, because th- they have a problem, they are uh, having a dead or you you can actually get the dead uh, turtle on the black market. It's oh. uh, related to their traditions and history to the past. They believe that uh, if you eat it, you can get some abilities of the turtle before oh. then. In past life, it was allowed only for the to the chef, and then when the uh, actually the culture changed, the normal people started to eat it, and it was it's now on the black market as a caviar. So it's a very uh, sad situation, and what they da- uh, try now to do is to make people aware of it and to teach uh, young children to to make them teach their actually f- uh, families yeah. and to spread the message. And when we have visited a guy who was from France, and he find out that if uh, you got this turtle in the season when they have an eggs inside the belly, if you take the belly and put it under the certain tree, you can actually get the uh, the small turtles afterwards. And uh, he was there working in one of the hotel. It was a special reserve, and uh, in his Five years history of time and his work. He saved uh, he saved 500 turtles. So every visitor who came there, he could donate some money and he could swim with the turtles and learn about them from eye to eye because that's the best experience. That's right. Yeah. That's so, right. That's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. And uh, in closing, I, I also want to just thank you, Christopher Gervais, because of the work you're doing with the film festival which is helping to bring these kind of celluloid-based, but nonetheless eye-to-eye meetings. Because I, I feel I sort of have a little relationship with that turtle now off the coast of Papua New Guinea. You know, you spend enough footage, actually, in the film where, you know, a viewer could start to say, hey, you know, let's shake hands here. You know, but uh, you did that with a number of fish. And that was, by the way, something I'd like to comment on in the film you took time, almost not, I don't want to say per species of fish, but a few, that you could really kind of get to see a little of the personality. You could feel the nature of the fish in a way that is not usually the case. Even these magnificent uh, works that are done by National Geographic and others, PBS, The Nature, you know, you don't spend that amount of time per animal. Is that what you've seen, Christopher? What, what's been your observation? Yeah, I mean, every animal has its own personality, just like people. Exactly uh, true. I've been on dives where I've had an angelfish follow me the entire dive. Now, perhaps that angelfish is used to being fed by people, and it was expecting something. I mean, I've seen people bring down, uh, 
cans of cheese whiz and, and, and feed the fish, which is not something you're supposed to do. But, I mean, just yesterday I was interacting with a, with a porcupine fish. We were, granted, it was in someone's aquarium, but that fish had a distinguished personality from the other fish. I mean, that fish was as interested in me as I was in in him or her. Um, animals do, in fact, have their own personalities, and anyone who's a pet owner and has a dog or a cat or a horse will no say no question about that. Uh, I have seen that in the wild. I have seen that whether you interact with a bear or a coyote or a wolf. There are some that uh, will take an interest in you, others that they want to stay clear away from you. Uh, so animals, like people, uh, do have their, their own personalities. Uh, I prefer to be around animals more than anything else. I'm not a people person, but Libra and I had this discussion earlier. I, yeah. or, uh, I am sort of like Noah. I, I sort of prefer to be around uh, animals uh, as opposed to people, and, and I enjoy nature more than I enjoy... Two of uh, each, thank you. Yeah, two of each. And I enjoy nature more than I enjoy, say, uh, the, the urban life, so to speak. Yeah, well, I'm glad to report to you all that I am an animal. <laughs> anyway, I want to thank you all for being on the show today and for the good work you're all doing, you with making the films and uh, Christopher in your uh, showing the films in the film festival. And uh, thanks so much for being on the show today and joining me. Thank you for the invitation and uh, be a pleasure that we can we can hear with you and with your. Uh, audience. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and we hope that our talkings will actually motivate you to go to the ocean and to discover some of its beauty, because in every place with the good dive master, you have people who know the personality of the fish. They go to you, so you might actually find it and see it from one to eye to eye. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful way to wind up. Thanks Thank so much. I love that. Eye to eye. With the sea world, that's the way it should be. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us again. Visit us at our website, www.abetterworld.tv. I don't think we have to say the triple W anymore. I think we all got it by now, right? Abetterworld.tv, and there you will see the trailer of the film Escape to Nature, which was the subject subject of today's show, and looking at the... Uh, implications of this beautiful, beautiful film that show us what it is we want so deeply to preserve. So thanks so much for joining me and our uh, discussion today, and I look forward to seeing you all next